Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Praise the Lord, it's not raining. A lot of prayer. This uh, place was pretty flooded <laughs> earlier in the week, so praise God. We, and we got this really awesome deal. Uh, I want to pray for Pat, my administrator. She's home with a concussion, fell off her bike. and So Pat, I know you're listening by live stream, but she went up and got us a deal. All this other carpet for like $125. Amen. So praise God. God is good. Yeah. Well, we're just uh, excited. The... Um, our pastor from Nepal called me, and, and uh, they've been doing baptisms and leadership. It's just been amazing. Last count, I think there were over 49,000 believers in, in, uh, in Nepal, and they wanted to join with us when I told them. Uh, so they're joining for the whole week in a fast. So I want to encourage you, Thursday at noon, you decide what your fast is. But for three days until Resurrection Sunday, next Sunday in the tent, pick something to fast. Could be media. Could be negativity, could be food. Um, anyway, just pick something that, uh, Lord, we want to we wanna come. And Mark 9 says, when Jesus cast a demon out of a little nine-year-old boy there, it says, some of these go out but by prayer and fasting. So there's certain things in our life that only break in prayer and fasting. So you put that request before. We surrendered a bunch of things this morning. And God is, is so good. If you haven't gotten a copy of the, of the handout, I'd love you to get one. Uh, I'm assuming we still have some. If you need one, just uh, lift your hands and we need, okay, over here. So if, uh, do we have any left? <laughs> okay, coming. All right. A couple in the back here too. Retention is, uh, is much easier when you both hear it, see it, and it's repetitive. So for me, I'm a visual kind of a learner, so I just want to encourage you to, to look at that, study the scriptures. This morning, um, I love this song, Jesus is Coming Back. Amen. I'm going to show you scripturally, this has been in the plan from the beginning, and uh, we're going to unpack both the first coming that was prophesied and then the second coming, which is also prophesied. We're going to look at the scriptures on both sides of this. So let's pray first. Lord, we, we're excited. Lord, we thank you that um, we've come to honor and to praise the great name of Jesus, that we really desire that you would become so famous. This region, when people talk about Wilmington or Carolina Beach, they wouldn't talk about Pleasure Island and beaches more than they would say, you know, there's something different about that area. Jesus is lifted up. It's not just the, the Bible belt, it's the whole garment in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we, it's, it's not about a particular ministry. It, Lord, we want the region to be on fire for you. Lots of prophetic words spoken over this region over the years. And many have gone before us and prayed your great name, interceding, seeking. God, I'm asking you that you would release an anointing that breaks every yoke so that you become famous. And people find their way into the realm of your presence because your presence changes everything. It changed me, and I thank you, Lord. We give you praise this morning. Have your way, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's, uh, I've, I've titled it, Your King is Coming, and out of Zechariah 9, 9, I don't know if you know some of the history about this, but Zechariah wrote this around 520 B.C., 500 years before Christ ever was born. Get a hold of that. You say, well, Pastor, how do you know that? You look it up this morning. Last year, in the Dead Sea Scroll findings, they found parts of the book of Zechariah and Naaman. Nahum. Come on. It's just like, my people need to wake up. You know, it's like, I'm telling you, I'm coming back. Why did he wait till 1947 to dig up the Dead Sea Scrolls? Why did, why did Israel have to get the nation in 48? The timing of the Lord is just incredible. And so now he's like, if you've ever been to the Bible, the book of the, it's the museum of the Bible in Israel, it's incredible. They have the artifacts there. They've been uncovering more and more of these things. But to find the book of Zechariah, it says, I wrote this before 
before, and I want you to know it's true and it's real. Right? And there's so many revelations in the in the Dead Sea Scrolls about what God is doing. It's like you almost have to be uh, unwilling to search to just be lost in this. So I praise God. So Zechariah 9, I'd like you to open your scriptures. Let's go. I'm going to actually select different scriptures. I want you to see how Jesus was, pro, was prophesied by the prophet. Remember in the book of Amos, he says he doesn't do anything, but he doesn't first tell the prophets. So he's about ready to release through Zechariah. He's one of the most amazing prophets of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. So let's begin in Zechariah chapter 9. And let's pick up, first of all, Jesus fulfills, if you go through, remember it was uh, Josh McDowell, he was an atheist who decided that I'm going to prove that the scriptures are wrong. And he went in and through probabilistic reviews, he looked at all the prophecies and the fulfillment and he said the numbers, maybe not exact, but you science nuts, math nuts, I think it's like 10 to the 39 power that the things that Jesus fulfilled would not, would not have happened. It's like, that's impossible. And so he became a believer, he actually wrote two volumes of uh, evidence that demands a verdict. I had an atheist, well, sort of an atheist guy, man, pastor, I didn't realize, I said, here, take these volumes, read this. He came back, said, oh boy. He took it from archeology, span he took it from science, and he just statistically proved that Jesus is who he said he was. So here we are, 500 years before Christ, Zechariah, verse, let's pick up in verse nine of Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice, O people, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, but I'm gonna bounce back to King James as well at times. Verse nine, rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. King James says, Jerusalem, the king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. It's one thing to be just and also to have salvation. Lowly, riding, look at this, he says, he's humble, that's the lowly, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey colt. This is the first coming. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel, the war horse from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. Now he shifts to the future. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood. This is the covenant that he shed. Remember by his his blood, we have been saved. We sang that song this morning, that blood is sufficient. Then he goes on in the rest of this chapter, talks about a double portion and protection. And then there's this place where the, his people turn away from him. They have all these ungodly leaders. And we know that. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they want to, I'm going to read this later in the book of John, where they go ahead and plot for Jesus's death. So here's these ungodly shepherds. All of chapter 10, the first part is God has these desire to remove the ungodly shepherds from among them. And then, of course, what happens? They're scattered. You remember what happened in 70 AD? The Roman legions came. Jesus prophesied when he sat on the Mount of Olives just before his death. He said, remember, they were so impressed with the temple, and they said to Jesus, look at this temple. He goes, it's going to be knocked down. Not one stone will remain. He goes, well, when will that happen? And so he prophesied. And at 70 AD, the Roman legions came in, completely, utterly, absolutely destroyed Jerusalem. The Essenes, who were part of this remnant tribe, who were the scribes, they vacated to a place outside of Jerusalem into the Dead Sea area to Corum. And during that time is where they, they stuck all the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm thinking they came back. They weren't dead at the time. The scrolls, it's the Dead Sea that it's near. But it's just that it happens to be a place where the atmosphere would preserve these things for a couple of thousand years. God is just, he's, if you don't think God is incredible, he's incredible. I mean, I can't even keep the rust off my back stuff. But, and he's got these scrolls, you know, anyway. So... He prophesies again that these evil shepherds, they're scattered, and then what happens? There'll be a day, he says, prophesied through Ezekiel, through Isaiah, through the, that these people are going to come back. So let's pick up in chapter 10, in verse 8. 
He talks about this remnant. He's going to whistle. He will whistle. Come on back. Come on back. And he's going to put the hooks out and his people are going to think about this. Which tribe and which generation has ever been preserved for thousands of years with the same language, with the same traditions? You show me. Where are they? No, but he prophesied. I'm going to whistle them back, he says. I'm going to call them back. And now look what happened. This is Israel today. Come on, we're living in this. this is a, when I whistle to them, they will come running, for I have redeemed them. Zechariah 10, 10, 10, 9. Though I have scattered them like the seeds among the nations, they will still remember me in the distant lands. They and their children will survive, and they will return again to Israel. Man, if you look at the history, my rabbi friends in Israel, they tell me all the Ethiopian Jews are coming back. They've done the blood work, and they said, these are the Ethiopian Jews, which is probably what happened when Moses got in trouble with his sister and brother, right? You're going to marry the Cushite woman? Yeah. Guess Now they're coming back from China, Russia, Poland, all the Jews returning. I will bring them back, verse 10, from Egypt. From Assyria, I will settle them in Gilead, Lebanon, until there's no more room for them at all. You look at what's going on. There's not a lot of room left. That's why the settlements have got everybody all wound up over there. They will pass safely from the sea of distress. I think the Holocaust was a pretty big sea of distress. The waves of the sea will be held back. The waters of the Nile will dry up. The pride of Assyria will be crushed and the rule of Egypt will end. By my power, I will make my people strong, and by my authority, they will go wherever they wish. I, the Lord, have spoken. The Israeli army is one of the most powerful in the world today. You don't mess with them. Not only do they have the weaponry, they also got God, which is sufficient above all things. Then it goes on, it says, turn, turn a little later in chapter 11. Here's now the prophecy. We see this. Jesus predicts the destruction of Israel, then the return. But now he also prophesies what's going to happen to him. You know the story of the 30 pieces of silver. And Judas betrays him for 30, 30 pieces of silver. Here it is written 500 years before Christ. Look at verse 13. Chapter 11, verse 13. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the magnificent sum which they have valued me. So I took the 30 coins and threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. Remember when Judas says, I don't want your blood money, threw it on the temple floor? Complete fulfillment. Again, to the details. Then I took my other staff, Union, and I cut it. And the bond between unity between Judah and Israel was broken. At that moment, when the ungodly leaders, Caiaphas and the high priest, they said, we're going to plot to kill this man. At that moment, there's a severing, and he pulls back his covenant, and then his people are scattered because, remember, he weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you've killed the prophets, but I, I wish now that you would come. But now he realizes you're going to pay a price. Those who reject Christ will pay an ultimate price. We know that. So he goes on and he says, he illustrates this. And then it goes on, the good news, chapter 12. The future Jerusalem deliverance. This message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord. This message is from the Lord who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, formed them in the human spirit. I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink. You think that's today? This whole two-state solution, all the arguments that are happening. That God help our nation make the right choice here. Verse 2, chapter 12. I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they'll only hurt themselves. That land is never going back into the hands of anybody else again. I don't care what human or what antichrist tries to do. On that day, says the Lord, I will cause every horse to panic, every rider to lose his nerve. Now, here's a prediction, I believe. Again, we're, we're looking over time. Here's a prophet seeing these things happening over centuries and centuries and centuries. And this is the complete fulfillment. But I believe this is, again, potentially nuclear war, which we're going to read later in 2 Peter. In third, yeah, 2 Peter. Look at verse 6. 
On the, t on the day that I will make the clans of Judah like a flame that sets a woodpile ablaze, or like a burning torch among the sheaves of grain, they will burn up all the neighboring nations right and left, while the people living in Jerusalem remain secure. Now, I'm not prophesying here, but I know the, the Samson bombs that they have, they've already said, we're not going quiet in the night. We will never again go quiet in the night. You mess with us, not only is God going to deliver them, they have the wherewithal to do it. And so this is a prediction. Verse 8, on the day the Lord will defend his people of Jerusalem, the weakest among them will be as mighty as King David. And the royal descendants will be like a god. And the angel of the Lord who goes before them, for on that day I will begin to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. You pray for the United States. Whew. Then I will pour out my spirit of grace and the prayer of the family of David on the people of Jerusalem. They will, now look at this. Here's a prophecy that comes out of Romans 11. Look at this. On Romans 11 it says, On the exact number of Gentiles comes in to the kingdom, all Israel will be saved. It's a prophecy out of, out of Paul wrote in Romans. Here is this. Listen. They will look, this is in verse 10, they will look on him they have pierced, Jesus on the cross, and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who's died. The sorrow and the mourning in Jerusalem on that day will be like a great mourning. All Israel, verse 12, will mourn each clan by itself Husbands separate from their wives. The clan of David will mourn alone as the clan of Nathan, the clan of Levi, the clan of Shemi. Each of them, surviving clans of Judah, will mourn separately. Get this picture. Right now when I go to Israel and I talk to those who, they seem to be born again. They know so much and they're touring around. I said, I've asked several, I said, are you a believer? He says, you can't ask me that. They are, many of them. But this revelation, those who have, remember, because of us Gentiles, he's hardened the hearts right now. But at one moment, all of a sudden, they're going to say, the one we pierced, the only begotten son, we pierced him, we killed him. At that moment, they're going to be on their knees, every family mourning across all of Israel, recognizing he is the son of God. And they were right. He came and he's coming back again. This is, gonna, this is prophesied 500 years before. And now he's gone all the way into the future. We're about to see this unfold. Look at this. Then the fountain of cleansing, chapter 13. On that day, the dynasty of David from the people of Jerusalem, the fountain of cleansing from all of their sins and impurity. Remember he said, I will forgive their sins and I'll remember it no more. And I'll take their stony hearts and I'll write upon it the flesh. Come on, Jesus is about to do this. When that revelation comes, it's like, oh my gosh, the scales will fall from their eyes. Then there's this prophecy about how destructive this season will be. And this chapter, the scattering of the sheep, verse 7, this is also in the Sharia, the things that are spoken by Shia Muslims, which are 95% in Iran, they believe that the apocalyptic hadiths, that's their prophetic writings. Look at this. This sounds a lot like Revelation, does it not? How many come to die in the Revelation time frame? It says, strike down the shepherd. Look at verse 8. Two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord. One-third will be left in the land, bringing the group to fire. You think there's anything strange going on right now that the Iranians have been searching and seeking to get a nuclear weapon? Why? Because their hadiths, their prophetic writings, say that they will get the bomb, they will bring that destruction. That's why this is so dangerous. This is a theological belief system that they have. They must usher in nuclear war to destroy because at that moment, the 12th imam will come and they will set up, Allah will then inhabit. This is their belief system. This is not like, well, the Russians, the Chinese, they don't want utter destruction. This is different. That's why Israel says, we will never allow them to get a nuclear weapon. 
You need to pray for this nation because if this thing doesn't go right, it's going to get ugly in a hurry. So, Lord, we thank you that your hand is on this. She prophesied it. You read the rest of that chapter. It's like it's not a pretty picture. Let's get to the good news. Amen. Yes, my wife's saying, please. <laughs> chapter 14. Hallelujah. Okay. The Lord will rule the earth. Watch for the day of the Lord, verse 1. Watch for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. Hold on, it's going to get better. I will gather the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, looted. Verse 3, the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fought in times past. On that day, now this is a day. It is one day. Look at this. On that day... His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart. This is the second coming. This is it. This is his return. On the Mount of Olives, split apart. The whole valley will run from east to west. Half the mountain will move to the north, half to the south. You will flee through the valley, for it will reach across Azil. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquakes in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. This is right. The eastern sky is going to split right open. Here's the Revelation 19. Those riding on white horses. The Antichrist is going to be there saying, we're going to fight this Jesus. Yeah, this is going to be the shortest war. It's over. Yeah. It's like, man. Continuously, both in summer and in winter. That doesn't happen now. I'm telling you, it's real, it's real arid when we get there. And the Lord will be king. Verse 9. The Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, there will be one Lord. His name alone will be worshipped. Lord of lords, king of kings, tattooed on his vesture, right? The Lord of lords and king of kings. Woo praise the Lord. And the Lord will send a plague on the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Man, you don't want to be an enemy of God. You do not want to be. And then what happens? This is future, future. Look at verse 16. In the end, the enemies of Jerusalem who survive the plague will go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and celebrate the festival of shelters. Hallelujah. That's why we did Sukkot. We did the time in the temple, right? In the, t in the tent, that time was like, whoa, God. So this is the time when the nations that refuse to honor the Lord, they will come and they will honor him. So I want you to see, this is, this is incredible. I love the validation of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's like, no, this book wasn't written later. Or before, after the fact. No, it's written. And look, here's the history I'm telling you about. All right, let's, let's now pull this all together. Look at your handout. The first part of this is what we read out of Zechariah 9. Je Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. I want you to see how prophetically this picture is. So let's turn to John 12. And I've listed there, every one of the Gospels has the account of his triumphant entry. But I want us to pick up, you know, in the, in the real estate term, it says location, 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 right? Well, guess what? Scripturally, it's real important, too. I want you to see that there's so much detail. When you start unwrapping this thing, it's like, God, do you don't miss anything. The perfect setup. This is like the perfect storm. By the way, we're in it right now. The perfect storm is being set. This whole COVID deal and wars and rumors of wars and Europe, God has got this thing perfectly set. He does this. So don't you be afraid. Don't you get all, just stay close to the Lord. Amen. The surrounding events. What happens here? Well, first of all, the Romans were ruling. Lazarus gets raised from the dead. Passover time. They all come from all over to come into Jerusalem. And the religious blindness by the leaders. That perfect storm is set up as we look at this. Look at John. We'll start in John chapter 11. You're probably very familiar with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus waits four days. <laughs> the sisters aren't too happy about that. Martha and Mary are like, we sent a message for you. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And you know, sometimes our timing is not the Lord's timing. 
He has a better plan and a bigger plan. And so just hang on. And so he says in verse 40 to Martha, first of all, she's a little worried that, Jesus, if you roll this stone away, this is going to be really embarrassing. He's been dead for four days. And, she's, and Jesus, you know, Jesus says, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory if you would believe? We're going to see more glory. It's coming. I'm telling you what. We had this prophecy last week. I was in, in Charlotte, and this prophetic lady out of Saturate Global, I told you, I think last week, um, you know, it's wild when a prophet says, where is that pastor from Global River? I'm like, oh, Lord, is she going to, you know, read my riots? Or, I'm right here. She goes, I want you to know, and I don't have all of it yet. I got to get the transcript from them, that the Global River is going to be the Glory River. I didn't say it. I'm just telling you what was reported. I'm like, what does that look like? I know Ezekiel 47, right? The river flows wherever it goes from the throne room of God. Wherever it grows, it goes. It brings life. The dead things become alive. But we get to see it. I mean, you see it, right? When you see these little ones coming in under the Lord, when someone comes in and says, Pray with me, Pastor. I want to be set free of my past. When salvation, healing, that's the glory. But when he comes in his glory and we get to see it, you can't unsee it. When you see a blind eye open right in front of you, when you see a tumor fall out of someone's body in front of you, you cannot unsee it. You know who he is. When you see a demonized person so tormented, set free, you can't unsee it. And we get to see his glory. It's like, man. He said, didn't I tell you? And then he prays. And the stone is moved away. Verse 42, John 11. Lord, he says to his father, you always hear me, father. But I said it loud for the sake of the people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. So he demonstrates praying to his father so the people know the source is from the Father, right? Because Jesus says, I brought glory to you. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, hands, feet, and bound in grave, grave cloths, his face wrapped in hand in head cloth. Unwrap him and let him go. <laughs> Woo! Now, I, you read that, it's like, yeah, yeah, I got that story, been there, done that. No, no, no. Stop for a minute. Stop for one minute. You're at a sepulcher of a guy who died four days ago, and you know that they had the mourners there. That's their practice, right? And so all of a sudden, he comes walking out like, what do you do with that? Like some beat feet, or do you tell everybody? Remember, this is a week before the crucifixion, just about riding in on a donkey colt. So the word goes out, there's a prophet who just raised the dead. His name is Lazarus. It happens to be Jesus comes to Bethany. Some of your translations says Bethpage. By the way, Jewish tradition, that's where the sacrificial lambs came from. You see the details? The sacrificial lamb comes to Bethany, gets on a donkey colt, and rides into Jerusalem, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. Come on, this God is incredible. What he does, I mean, you got to be almost brain dead, not to, like, you're so big and man. And then we think, like, does he really know where I am? Oh, come on. He knows how many hairs are on your head. For those who have some, right? He knows you don't have any. Praise God. He, and he thinks it's beautiful. I've been told bold is beautiful. I'm not being critical. Okay. Moving right along. Verse 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. You think so? <laughs> Many believers. But some, now here's where, this is really wild. But some went and told the Pharisees what Jesus has done. The leading priests and the Pharisees called a high council. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. Which, by the way, is a sign of the Messiah. And yet they're so blinded. 
If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both temple and our nation. I want you to see the paradigm. We've been doing this study, Daniel's study. If you haven't been to Wednesday, go online. I'm telling you, last Wednesday was the best marriage revelation. And I've been under a lot of them. That was one of the best. Go online and get it because your marriage will benefit by it communication-wise. So I want you to see that we're doing this thing on paradigms. A paradigm is a mindset. It's a belief system. It's how you and I look through the lens of life. We believe about this way. And the Pharisees, they have a mindset that Jesus is not going to be good for them. So we've got to destroy him. Even though he's doing miracles, good things, they're going to destroy him. It's like, wow, talk about blindness. He performs miracles, but the armies of the Romans are going to come, and it's better. Here's a prophecy by Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 49, Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize it's better that one man should die for the people, for the whole nation. That's a prophetic picture. Not at your hands, but Jesus is going to be the sacrifice given for all the nations of the earth. So anyway, it's at that moment, the Passover happens. So all the people are in Jerusalem. And then what happens? Chapter 12, John 12. Six days, verse 1, six days before Passover celebration begins, Jesus arrives in Bethany at the home of Lazarus. So he's back there again. Now he's going to be the real sacrificial lamb. The man who raised from the dead. Dinner was prepared. Martha served. Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Mary took the 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume, the essence of nard, and anointed Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with his fragrance. We know the prophecy there that he was being anointed for his death. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would betray him, gets angry, says that's worth one year's wages. But he was a thief. He didn't really care about the fact that they wasted this is the money. And they decide, if you drop down at verse 10, the leading priests decide they need to kill Lazarus too. Let's wipe out the evidence of the miracle. These guys are, wow, sad. Sad and wicked. People in power will do crazy things things. Pray for our people. Pray for our leadership. Good news. Verse 12, 12, 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the city. They don't even have Facebook. They don't have CNN. They don't have Fox News. They don't have any of that. And yet he's coming. The one that raised Lazarus. Did you hear the one that raised Lazarus from the dead? He's coming. What do they do? They come out and they're captured in the moment and God fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah 9. He's found on a young donkey riding in the fulfilling of the prophecy. Verse 15. Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your Lord is coming. The king is coming, riding on a donkey colt. His disciples didn't understand at that time that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. And after Jesus entered his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising the dead, and they were telling others about it. This is the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard of this miraculous sign. The Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Woohoo! What a, an amazing course. Then he, Jesus predicts his death. And, you know, a week later, how do you go from king of kings, lord of lords, worship Hosanna, and then nail him to a cross? We know that the Lord allowed all of that to happen for the good that we see because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And he works all things together for good, even when we don't understand Sometimes we got to get to the other side and have the revelation of the prophecies that have taken faith in our own lives. So I want you to see, look at your handout. Jesus is 
triumphant entry. So this is perfect setting. Number three there, the Passover lamb came from Bethany or Bethpage. Number four, the Messiah descends from the Mount of Olives. We know that he, we read it in Zechariah 14, which is also in Revelation 19. When he comes back on that second coming, he's going to touch down. There's going to be an earthquake. It's going to split wide open. And it is done. It is over at that point. Praise God. Jesus enters. Now, this is interesting. I don't know if you know this. I did some research on this. And I, when I was in Israel, the eastern gate, there's a graveyard. All these tombs are set up. And they've walled. This is back thousand, almost a thousand years. They've walled off the eastern gate. Why? Because they know the prophecy. They want to keep Jesus out of the gate. Hello. I mean, if you're not reasoning like some... Anyway... You think a wall is going to keep Jesus out of the gate. The other thing is they put the, they put the tombs there because it's in a custom there. They get to, you can't go to a graveyard and get defiled. So he certainly wouldn't walk through as a priest through a defiled area. Yeah. They'll all be raised from the dead. It's going to be, probably be a garden, you know, and the gate will be wide. I just want you to see some of the amazing stuff here. It's like, they, see, the, the devil knows the prophecies. <laughs> As if you're going to wall it off and put two, you know, bones there. and that's, Sometimes it's, the devil's pretty dumb. But anyway, so they would have never crucified him if he knew, right? So, okay, so then it says, the Messiah will descend from unto the Mount of Olives. Number five, he enters the east gate. It is also known as the divine gate of presence. And it's only for the Lord. They don't use, that's not a common gate. That's. That's another reason. It's a prophecy within a prophecy. That common people aren't walking through that gate. The next time that thing's open, you watch. King of Kings is coming through that gate. Right? So that's the, it's amazing. Number six, he doesn't ride in on a royal horse. Remember the conquering kings, they come on in their fancy horses, right, with the entourage? Uh-uh, not this time. Well, next time. But So this time he comes in riding a donkey colt. Not even saddled. I mean, I have a, we have a donkey at the farm. There's times when you want to ride with a saddle. He puts the coat of the people over it, and he rides in as a humble servant, not a conquering king, on a colt never ridden before. Well, that, imagine that colt. He's got a testimony. I got the king on my back. What do you got, right? Anyway, whoo. Not the colts can talk, but... Well, I guess they can. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they have in the past. Yeah, I repent, Lord. Okay. Not a conquering king, but a prince of peace. The coronation of the prince of peace, Jesus, king of the Jews. You see the fulfillment of this? What did Pilate put in three languages on the cross? Here is Jesus, king of the Jews. Three different languages on the cross. Come on, what a fulfillment. Like, I don't know what language you speak, but hey, the Pharisees wanted that down. Just so you missed it, let me write it in three languages. Like, come on, Lloyd's got a sense of humor. I just... Uh, his second coming is the lion of the tribe of Judah riding on a war horse. Revelation 5.5 5 and Revelation 19.11. The question is, will you and I be riding with him? Come and ride with me. What a great song that, you, that we used to sing. Right? Riding on a white horse. Revelation 19, it says, The bride has made herself ready. The wedding feast of the Lamb has been prepared, and the good deeds done by the servants of God are the garments that she wears. Riding on a white horse. Man, I just, what a, what a day that's going to be. I don't know how that looks. <laughs> it's like, I just really like it. He's going to ride a white horse. This is the war horse of Jesus. It's going to be one of the shortest battles. That battle will end with the breath of the Lord. All the armies lined up to come against him with all their nuclear stuff. And yeah, let's take him out. We got to take it. It's over. It is over. And then all those who didn't know him, there'll be a whole lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you're listening to me by live stream or you're here and you don't know the Lord, this is not a time to be wandering off. 
I've been praying with some folks who have wandered off. I said, it's never a good time to wander off. But I'm telling you what, you want to be in the ark of Jesus now. You need to get yourself lined up with the one who is. Because when this comes down, it's going to come down really, really fast. And so it's not a time to be messing where you shouldn't have been a messing. Repent and come to him. So I want to just uh, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is Peter's final epitaph. He actually concludes right after this what Jesus prophesied would happen to him, that he would be taken. Remember in, in John's gospel it says after he repents for renouncing Christ three times, Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then he says, again, there's this competition between the disciples. Who's the greatest and what's going to happen? And Peter and John seem to have a whole lot of stuff going on between them. And Jesus turns to Peter in that scripture and he says, they're going to, when you were younger, you went where you wanted to go. But now when you're older, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And they're going to stretch out your hands. And he's crucified upside down. They stretched him out upside down. Just before that happens, he knows it's going to happen. He even tells him that's going to happen. He writes this in chapter 3, verse 1. This is, this is the nuclear war that's coming. And that's why you want to be in Jesus. And that's why I'm, I'm praying for, I'm a pre-trib rapture guy. I like that. I'd like to be up there watching this uh, instead of being here. Either way. We're here in Jesus, right? If you're a pre-tribber, mid-tribber, post-tribber, no-tribber, it's all going to pan out. I'm just telling you, if you're with Jesus. So let's look at what Peter tells us just before he dies. And this is, to me, nuclear war. You know my story on submarines. We have stuff that, whew, incinerates. It's not good. Verse 1, chapter 3, the day of the Lord is coming. This is my second letter to you, my dear friends. And in both of them, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking, and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through the apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you, in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise of Jesus coming again? For from the times of our ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Praise God, that's not us. But you must not forget the one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years like a day. Let me stop there for a minute. That means from the time of Zechariah writing this, it's only been two and a half days. Can you remember what you did two and a half days ago? I might have trouble a week ago, but two, I could probably find two and a half days ago. So this idea that, you know, we know God is outside of time. So we're sitting here like, man, where is taking a long time? He says, it's only two and a half days in God's calendar. But the mockers will say, see, nothing's changed. Okay. Now. The Lord isn't really being slow about, verse 9, about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. You know, if he came back 100 years ago, you and I wouldn't be here. But he knows exactly who he wants and how he's going to create. He's got all that written before the foundation, right? He wants everyone to repent. So he's waiting for all those to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass themselves and disappear with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear in fire. 
and the earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? Remember, this is, the, this is Peter, the guy, the rough-edged guy who re, he rejected Christ three times, thought he was going to stand, right? Here he is telling us, think of him as the apostle grandpa who's telling you, how do you think you ought to be living? This is coming. You're sitting on the edge. None of this could have been done 50 years ago. You and I are sitting on the edge right now. And Peter's saying, please, what kind of people should you be living as right now? Living in la as last day Christians. This is a warning. Since the, everything is going to disappear in fire and the earth and everything in it will be found in judgment, what kind of godly lives should you be living, looking forward for the day that God is hurrying it along? On that day, he will set the heavens on The new earth, as he promised, the world filled with God's righteousness. Does that sound like Revelation? The new heaven and the earth, new earth coming down, Revelation 22. See the prophetic connections all over this book? It's, it's so wonderful. My dear friends, verse 14. While you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Speaking of things in all of his letters, some of his comments, they're hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted the letters to mean something quite different just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this is the result of their destruction. Final word, Peter's final words, I'm warning you ahead of time. Dear friends, be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of the wicked people and lose your secure footing. Rather, you must grow in grace and acknowledge our Lord Jesus, Savior, all glory to him, both now and and forever. Amen. Amen. So I want us to take this on board. This is a somber, sober word, but I wanted to take us from the beginning of the first prophecy, the fulfillment of that prophecy, and then what is coming. So we're sitting here, and the bride has made herself ready. So I want to land this thing. The last scripture I want to share is in this bottom of your handout. It says, the Lord has need of it. I didn't turn there. We won't look at it. But in Luke's Gospel 19 and Mark 11, you'll remember the scripture that says, Jesus, again, here's another prophecy. Dr. Luke, I like his account of it in Luke 19. Jesus tells the disciples, go into Jerusalem and you're going to find this mother donkey and the donkey colt next to it. I want you to untie it and bring it. So he sees this. They go and do what they say. And he says, well, suppose we're there. We don't want to get charged with, you know, grand theft donkey, right? <laughs> so they probably, what, what do we say? He says, tell him the Lord has need of it. Wow. And so they go there and uh, they don't get charged with grand theft donkey, but they end up with this untying. And sure enough, the owners come out and say, what you doing? You know, it's like, come out and get your... Your Toyota out there is like, what, what you doing? The Lord has need of it. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Yeah. It better be the Lord. <laughs> anyway, so what is amazing here is they release that and obviously makes the fulfillment. So I want to end this. We just finished doing a series of two weeks ago looking at the gifts. And then we handed out the gift survey, the spiritual gift survey that I hope you've gotten copies. There's still more of them over there. Your gifts and your skills, the Lord has need of them. And so if the Lord were to turn to you and say, the Lord has need of you to help with House of Mercy, outreach ministry, prayer ministry, prayer team, 
giving, helps, compassion. We listed all the gifts. I'd ask you to do this. Has the Lord asked you to help him in a particular area? You should ask him because he has a plan. Remember, we see this in Ephesians. Before the foundation of the world, he created the good works that you would walk in that somebody else can't walk in. And so every joint needs to supply. So I just thought that was interesting. It's like, I don't know how I would have responded, but obviously there was an anointing on that that said, release this gift because the Lord has need of it. And so let's stand. Daniel's been cooking with the team. We got all these wonderful goodies out there. And if you didn't bring a dish to pass, that's okay. We got, we're going to have plenty out there. Multiply it all, Jesus. We got some really good burgers and hot dogs. Thank you for um, sacrificing a little bit of body heat. Some of you are sitting there, the whole bundle of like, I hope the pastor finishes soon <laughs> before Force Bright gets it. Lord's going to heal you. All right. Lord, we just thank you right now, Father, for your grace. Lord, I'm so, I love your word. It's so powerful when we, when we look at the revelation of your, you told us over and over again, you fit all the pieces together. It's so, it's so good. The good news is such good news. We can trust your word. And then the archaeology that validates that your word was already in the earth waiting for it to Lazarus come forth in these days. God, I thank you. Lord, I ask you to bless all those that are here, those listening by live stream. Lord, we lift up all the needs around this house, the extended family needs. God, we thank you. This week, Lord, as we, tonight we'll start at 6.30. I pray a blessing on Reverend Nixon. He is a prophetic guy. You better come and he will pull you out of a crowd and he will read your mail. At least he did last time. So, Lord, I pray. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. Wednesday night, Jennifer Costell will be here. Every night we got worship teams. I want to announce also that on Friday night we'll have a good, a good, uh, good Friday service. We'll begin our fast. Thursday noon, finish it Sunday noon. Saturday night, Jesse and Parker Green from Saturate Global will be here and Sunday morning. They want to come for both. So it is going to be a time. So Lord, I just pray that you would just blow wind, blow warm weather, but blow wind, blow over this in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you. Don't leave. Make sure you grab, do some fellowship, grab food and fellowship time.